Welcome to the EO Podcast, where we amplify and celebrate all forms of employee ownership. Hello, my friends. Thank you for listening. My name is Brett Kiesling, and as it says on my business cards, I'm a passionate advocate for employee ownership. In today's episode, we're going to take a step back of sorts from employee ownership, and I'm going to share with you interviews I conducted in the summer of 2019 with Bob Crocodile Lyle, who's the owner of the Lyle Art Gallery on iconic Route 66 in Amarillo, Texas. I spent about a week and a half traveling Route 66 this past summer, met a lot of fascinating people, and Bob was kind enough to share his thoughts on business ownership, on the culture of Route 66, and why people are committed, such as Bob, to keep Route 66 vibrant, even though there are probably lots of easier ways to earn a living. I hope you'll enjoy this combined episode from our archives. As always, if you have any feedback, we'd love to hear from you, and there's contact information at the end of the show. With that, here's the first part of my conversation with Bob Crocodile Lyle. I'm having a lot of fun driving Route 66 from Nevada to Pennsylvania, and I've stopped in Amarillo, Texas, and it's my great pleasure to be recording live at the Lyle Art Gallery with Bob Crocodile Lyle. Bob, say hello. Hey, hello, guys. You know, I'm just having a ball here. Thanks for coming by, Brett. Well, I stopped by, and I, I need to say I was in, uh, and I'll probably mispronounce the name, uh, Seligman. 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 See, in the Northeast, we'd say Seligman, uh, right. but Seligman, Arizona. Either way. And uh, a friend of yours uh, uh, owns the Roadkill Cafe there, right. and I was there Saturday. It was the first uh, day on my Route 66 journey, and your friend Debbie Meha uh, of the Pope family that owns that and some other businesses uh, gave me your name, and I came up, showed up today, and uh, you were just such a treat, and I said, hey, I happen to do this podcast. Can I sit and visit with you a little bit? You bet. We love it, and Debbie's a sweetheart. She's absolutely wonderful, and yeah. I can't wait, and and you've also made some suggestions of, for people that I can stop by and see in Oklahoma, right. and that's part of the Route 66 vibe that we're going to talk about. We're all family uh, from Chicago to Santa Monica, California, sometimes pretty dysfunctional, but still family. <laughs> <laughs> and I understand that uh, uh, very well. Bob, so so it is a business podcast, and in that sense, uh, there's a lot of passion with what you do. But let's start with uh, just describe your art gallery. And then uh, you also spend, uh, uh, I think uh, you do twice a year, you do three-week guided tours of Route 66. We'll talk about that at the end. Okay, sure. Uh, but but. The floor is yours. Just describe the art gallery. I have several artists in Lyle Art Gallery. Uh, personally, I'm an abstract expressionist. Now, I do a landscape or a still life or a figure study once in a while, just see if I still can. My first love is abstract. About seven years ago, I picked up pieces of paint from the cars at Cadillac Ranch, just west of Amarillo, and I told my wife, I said, I don't know what I'm going to do with this stuff, but I'm going to do something creative with it. Well, I started painting landscapes, and then I do mosaics with pieces of paint off the cars. Done 26. I've got them in Okinawa. I've sold 24 out of the 26. I've got them in Okinawa, Australia, New Zealand, Europe, and from California to Norfolk, Virginia. I've been really blessed and lucky that people like them enough to pay for them, you know. But uh, I've got 12 paintings started right now, but I'm not painting. Uh, I'm too busy doing something else. I, I make jewelry out of the pieces of paint off the cars at Cadillac Ranch. But I'm fortunate to have uh, a following of people that like what, what I do. 
But I'm also fortunate to have some very neat artists hanging in my gallery besides what I do. I have world famous sculptor Lincoln Fox out of Colorado. This guy's got stuff all over the world. He's got a 20 foot bronze in the Albuquerque airport. He's, he's an amazing. I met him in 68 and we've been friends ever since. I have Doug Quarles from Tucumcari, New Mexico, who does photorealism paintings. And I've got uh, several of his in here. I'm getting ready to have my daughter's-in-law, some of my daughter-in-law's paintings in here next week. She, they live in Dallas. Uh, I also do Giclée prints about Route 66. Uh, I just got lucky. 23 years ago, uh, my wife and I rode Route 66 with Harley Owners Group. Our tour guide was Michael Wallace, who is a famous author from Tulsa. He has written 20 books, been nominated for the Pulitzer Prize three times. Heck of a guy. Uh, we met him and, and just fell in love with Historic 66, and we've been involved ever since. Where were you from? Like, where did you spend your life prior to that? Oh, a little town of Booker, Texas, 130 miles northeast of here. Okay. It's three miles from Oklahoma and 45 miles from Kansas, and it's not the end of the earth, but you can see it from there. <laughs> so you uh, discovered in your 50s uh, uh, Route 66, or not discovered it, but but went on this tour with the Harley Group. Right. Uh, yeah. And fun fact, by the way, I'm... I live in Harrisburg, Pennsylvania, and we have a big Harley factory in York, right, uh, right around. So a real strong yeah. Harley community as well. Yeah. yeah, we had a ball. There were, there were almost 500 of us on that first tour, and the black comedian Flip Wilson was in that group. He's character. Yeah. <laughs> uh, wow. And then we fell in love with 66 and the people on it and all the history and the fun. And so we just got involved with our state association. Each All eight states have a 501c3 state association. And we, some of us work together, some of us don't, but we do things. We have festivals, we have all kinds of stuff. So we got involved in all that, and we just kept doing it. And then again, in 2001, Harley Owners Group said they were going to do it again for Route 66 75th anniversary, and we went on again, and we there were all, nearly 1,500 of us on the second trip. Wow, wow. Now, we didn't ride together. We rode in groups or by yourself or whatever, but we friends we made in both of those tours are still friends today. We still hear from them, still see them, uh, you know. That had to be not just amazing to be on the bike tour, but to be standing along Route 66 as hundreds of bikes come through had, had to be a sight to see. And when you when you come to a town and you, you happen to be, and there's an overpass, and there's 100 people up there with flags and hooping and hollering and waving at you, you know, it's a thrill. And, of course, we were gone both times over the 4th of July, and we had a big Independence Day celebration in Williams, Arizona, and they were shooting off fireworks, but the fireworks back behind the mountains with the lightning and the thunder were better than what they were shooting off. <laughs> Bob, one of the things, and I've planned or wanted to take a, a drive on Route 66 for 10 or 12 years now, and I've talked about it with family and friends, and this became uh, just an opportunity uh, unexpectedly where I was uh, just driving from Nevada to Pennsylvania. But my thought of Route 66 was kind of the neon, kitschy, retro, and there is a lot of that. But yeah. my eyes opened when I came into your gallery because, and you talked about it here a little bit, so much of uh, Route 66 is actually the natural wildlife, the beauty. There are museums. There's... Uh, there, there's a lot more than just how many neon diners right. can you stop in, although there are great neon diners to stop in. And we all love those. We do. And and 
we average 100,000 foreigners a year come over to Travel 66. And what they love about our Route 66 history is like America was in the 30s and 40s and 50s and 60s. And that's what they dig about it. Because they they may live in a 250-year-old house. Uh, they may work in a 300-year-old building. Well, in America, if something gets 50, 60 years old, we tear it down and build a Walgreens. So they like our history because ours is not as old as theirs. But yeah, but the art and the and the, like you say the wildlife and you you leave Chicago and go down through Illinois and you see a lot of cornfields and this and that. Then you get into Missouri and you get into the Ozarks, and it's, it, everything changes and the people change. They're not better or worse. They're just different. They think a little differently. They speak a little. Some of them have an accent, so, you know. Uh, some of them in Missouri will say, Ewan's, Ewan's come back and see us now, you hear? You know? <laughs> and then you get to California, and it's a whole different accent. But, right. every, but then you get out, and, and you see the flora and fauna change, and there's different animals, you know. Just south of here in Palladura Canyon State Park, we've got mountain lions, we've got lynx, we've got bobcats, we've got uh, deer, we've got turkey, we've got all kinds of grouse. we got all kinds of uh, stuff. Now, uh, most people don't see them because... A lot of them are nocturnal or whatever, but a lot of people do see them, you know. So it, it changes different places. And that's what's change is good. You don't want to see the same thing every day. Well, and, and it's cool, though, that for all the changes, you also have that common thread. Yeah. You know, the, the Route 66 iconic sign that everybody knows. Yeah. And by the way, I love the fact as I've gone through the states that it seems that that. 40 East and West, as most people probably know, uh, 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 follows along Route 66 in many places. I'm probably not saying that right. Well, that's close. Uh, but there's also, if there are exits, I've noticed where it says Route 40 Business Loop. That right. seems to be a shorthand for you're getting gold 66. Right. Uh, a lot of times, yeah. So uh, it's cool to just drive that way. Our state associations work hard. For good signage, so people can do it without getting bewildered. And I don't say lost because you never get lost. You know, they asked uh, they asked Daniel Boone one time if he'd ever been lost, and he said no. But one time I was bewildered for three days. <laughs> and, <laughs> but uh, famous author Lowell Davis from Carthage, Missouri, he has a great place where you get a chance to stop there. It's called Red Oak Two, and he was a famous artist in Dallas, made lots of money. He came back to his home country and bought Red Oak and moved it to where he bought this land and, and built this town. He's got the house that Bell Starr was born in, and and who is Bell Bell Starr was a famous female outlaw back in the eighteen hundreds. Wow, there's yeah. so much history here, Bob, and that's just a sign. And I think that that I'm pretty well-versed in history, but there's just a well, whole world out here yeah. that, that I've just right. never heard. Well, because it's not taught. And and, and Harley, Harley Davidson used to say, if I have to explain, you won't understand. And that's the way Route 66 is. I can explain it to you all day long, but until you experience it, you don't quite get it. Yeah, you may like it, but but when you do the whole thing, it just blows you away. The people I tour with are out of New Zealand and Australia, and yeah, most of them. We have some Europeans once more. They're just like a bunch of little kids when they're out there. They're just wide-eyed and having fun, you know? I have been a kid in a candy store at all of the uh, towns. I had to make uh, some decisions because, again, this wasn't well thought out in advance. And at a certain point, I just got to get back to Pennsylvania. But, for example, uh, the Lowell Observatory was right in Flagstaff, so I was there. Uh, There There's certain – the iconic stuff, the – you know, I was at the corner in Winslow, Arizona, you know, and I took a photo, and you've got some uh, uh, photos of that. Uh, but it's also interesting where there are certain 
certain parts where in New Mexico, perhaps where you get off of Route 66 and either there's only a business or two or maybe there's no business and you're just following the old route for the scenery and right. the, the beauty of it. There's a ghost town on the Texas-New Mexico border called Glen Rio. There used to be about 300 people living there. You could hardly, in the 50s and 60s, you could hardly get across the highway because the traffic was so thick. It was the family owned the motel, they owned a restaurant, and they owned a filling station or a gas station. And it were, they were all open 24 hours a day, seven days a week. And uh, the old interstate went through and bypassed the town and killed it. And it's a ghost town. One lady lives there now. She and her dogs. But, you know, I mean, it's sad. McLean, 70 miles east of Amarillo, almost a ghost town, you know, but things just shut down because nobody's there. Uh, the way historic Route 66 got really taken back there in Seligman, there was uh, Angel Delgadillo, who's 90-some, and he has Angel's Barbershop there. He'll still cut your hair and give you a shave if you like. And he, he has a gift shop. And then his brother, Juan, has a snow-capped drive-in down the street. Well, interstate went through, and all of a sudden, they didn't have any traffic. And they said, what are we going to do? We're going to go broke. We're going to go bankrupt. So they went to the state legislature in Arizona and talked them into making it a scenic byway. So they started using getting tourism going. So now it's successful. But, you know, a lot of places didn't know how to do that. But these guys are, they call him the godfather of Route 66, and he's a really neat guy. Just, I've known him for 23 years. But, uh, you know, I get the thing. We just lost Elmer Long, who had Elmer's Bottle Tree Ranch out in California. He just passed away a few days ago. He was only 72 years old. He was a Marine. I think he'd been in Vietnam, but I don't know what his health problems were, but we lost him. I'm doing a coffee table book with a photographer here in town, and we're interviewing people that are living and working on 66. Helmers, we're leaving next week to go to California, and we were planning on doing his portrait, and we're going to miss him. So we got to get this before these people go away. We, we want to preserve that history. And is there also an uh, interest in making sure, you know, frankly, and, and a lot of people listening to this podcast know that we focus on business succession. Right. You want to honor um, uh, the legends, and you want to make sure the stories are preserved, but I assume you also want to make sure there's vitality on Route 66 for the future. You got to, and it's happening. People are buying motels and fixing them up, and hotels and restaurants, and, and they're putting new life blood back into that. So, Bob, we took a little break because customers walked in, right. and you've been kind enough to spend time with me, and I've been here as various customers walked in. There was a family, uh, a couple with three kids from Ohio. Uh, you just had a customer or a couple of customers from Texas, and I notice uh, uh, certainly you have an art gallery and you would love to have a sale at the end, but you're actually asking, I mean, that's business, sure. but you're asking, for example, how they got here. Here, why they're here, what route they're taking. The folks from Ohio, you made suggestions. You did the same thing with me. Right. What is it? It extends so far beyond the yeah. Lyle Art Gallery. Right. And, and you were talking about it. How do you decide what to suggest? I try to ask questions and find out what their interests are and go from there. But, uh, you know, we're a linear village. And, and uh, I've been involved long enough. I know nearly everyone from Chicago to Santa Monica. And uh, most of them are really nice people. They really are. And we, we send people upstream and downstream, and, and that's what we do. We, we take care of each other. Uh, if they don't buy anything from me, 
maybe they will up the road or down the road, you know, from somebody else. Travel dollars, yeah. 166 help everybody. Yeah, that's, that's the, the, the bigger picture. Something they want it. Sometimes it's a three or four dollar item, and sometimes it's three or four or five or six hundred. I mean, you never, you never know, you know. Uh, that young man the other, the other day, he he wanted all five of my prints. That made my day, you know. But not everybody's going to do that. Not everybody can afford that. These people from foreign countries come over here. They've maybe been saving for 10 years so they can come do this trip and they don't have a lot of extra spendable money. And do they see things they like or want? Yeah, but sometimes they can't afford it. Uh, before we uh, took the break with your uh, customers, what we were actually talking about is, uh, on the one hand, you want to honor the legends uh, uh, of Route 66 and make sure their stories are preserved. Right. And then we had just started to talk about but the vitality of maintaining Route 66, making sure it grows and is strong, with presumably young blood coming in. Right. Is that something that you're active with through the association? Yes, that it sort is. Of thing? And uh, we, we try to get the younger people. Of course, the, the animated movie Cars helped a lot with those people but again that was in 2006 so there are people still watching yeah but not as many the other thing is we have a young roadies group on 66 of young people that are involved and and they were we, right now out of Kansas and Missouri is where most of them are and these kids are really involved and they love it and they want to preserve the history and get involved and do things so you know yeah we're seeing it uh, things keep improving uh, Tulsa spending $25 million on Route 66. It's a vibrant city that, that knows it'll get it back tenfold in tourism dollars in the next few years. So uh, Oklahoma City has never quite gotten on board. Amarillo has never quite gotten on board, even though we have historic 6th Avenue. But I'm talking about the people that run the city. They haven't figured it out yet that, that Route 66 brings millions of dollars a year to Amarillo. And we're working on that. We're, we're trying to get their attention. The city of Edmond, Oklahoma, just north of Oklahoma City, went through. They haven't figured it out yet either. But we keep encouraging the city councils and the, and the city governments to, hey, look look what's out there for you. And let me ask, uh, and it'll test my perception, but it seems to me Albuquerque gets it quite well. Albuquerque that, gets it. Except there are mile-long stretches of Route 66 right. that is a combination of new and cool and kind of modern chic, but right. the retro is very much there. Right. Uh, Seligman, Williams, all these places get it. They get many, many millions in tourism dollars, you know. Uh, L.A. would be a hard one. Chicago's hard because it's a big city. You know, is it there? Yeah. Uh, and there are signs saying this is the where it starts and this is where it ends and all this stuff. But, but those, you know, those size cities have a hard time they're going to get the tourism anyway, whether right. they do anything or not. So they don't care. And there's real competition for lots of right. dollars. And Chicago doesn't necessarily need the right. incremental value of Route 66. So uh, take a couple of minutes uh, uh, for me, Bob. And as we've talked about, you are a tour guide, uh, uh, oftentimes with folks uh, from New Zealand and whatnot. Right. But uh, uh, your expertise, you know, is evident. I happen to stumble my way onto Route 66, if, and, and I assume if somebody has the opportunity, just drive whatever part they can. But if you wanted to plan it a little bit, uh, uh, where it's authentic, do you start at Chicago? Is it St. Louis? Do you start on the West? Like, how would somebody start saying, hey, and how much time do you need? You can do it from L.A. to Chicago or Chicago to L.A., and, and we recommend if you're going to do it and do the whole thing, I suggest at least three weeks. 
Now, not everybody's got three weeks. So is it doable in two weeks? Yeah. Are you going to miss some things? Yeah. But I had a college professor that spent two months on it several years ago, and he backtracked 50 or 100 miles every day or two, and he still missed stuff. You're not ever going to do it 100%. It's just, that's just, you're going to run out. You're going to spend two hours in a place you thought you were going to spend 30 minutes because it's an interesting of the people or the history. So that happens to us. And uh, that's why my tours, I work with Gilligan's Route 66 tours out of New Zealand. This guy's named Sam Murray, and he's amazing. He does the best tour of anybody in the world. And that's one of the reasons I got hooked up with him five years ago, because uh, he does the most comprehensive Route 66. So that's a, uh, and, and Gilligan's uh, is who you provide the tour with, right. uh, et cetera. Uh, just explain that three-week tour. I mean, that's that's probably a great way. What do you do? We start in Chicago. Uh, we, we, we let them spend a couple of days in Chicago to kind of get acclimated, get get, get over the jet lag, because it's a straight shot from Auckland, New Zealand, into Chicago, 16 hours in there. And uh, we kind of get them out. We take them out, and we take them to a, a party place, a, a Al Capone-type place for dinner and drinks. And anyway, we, the, the first day, we only do 90 miles, because we want them to get over that jet lag, because they've been used to driving on the left, and here they are driving. <laughs> <laughs> right, and we don't want anybody hurt or killed. So. Now, do they all have their own cars? Or each they each the... couple has a has a rental Mustang or a classic car we provide. Oh, very cool. And uh, yeah, we we have a GPS that has been made just for our tour by a friend of mine named River Pilot. He has got a GPS you can rent to put on your Garmin, but we tweaked it for our tour. So That's great. they get up in the morning. I talk to them, tell them not to miss this and try this. And you got my phone number? Call me if you need me. They set their GPS and they take off. And Bob, let me just talk about the travel because the one thing that I've noticed um, and a Route 66 GPS would be great. I happen to use Waze, the app, and uh, I keep getting off of Route 66. So the GPS hasn't been helpful because it just wants to keep me on 40. And that's because it's not, yeah, it's not, yeah, it's, it's not geared. Right. But the one thing I can tell people not be worried about it, the layout really is true. As long as I was heading east, in this particular case, or west, you're good. So yeah. in other words, there's good signage. But maneuvering with the GPS, uh, uh, even if you don't have the customized app, I don't want people to uh, be concerned. You can maneuver quite well. Yeah. But with your tour, you have that. You're in the classic right. cars. Yeah. And so they're just having a ball. And some of them I see at lunch. Some I see down the road. Some of them I don't see all day long. Some of them are two hours ahead of me. Some are two or three hours behind me. And so, you know, and if they have a problem or need something, they give us a call. You know? So it's not a convoy. It's everybody yeah. just doing right. and stopping where they want to see, and then there are meetup points. If you're in a convoy, you've got to go where the convoy goes. Right. You may not want to do that. Right. I'm, you know, I've got, I had a guy in here the other day that's traveling by himself. He said, I don't want to travel with other people. I want to go where I want to go when I want to go. I want to eat what I want to eat when I, you know, so... <laughs> you know, the funny thing, Bob, is originally I thought I was going to wait until I was in a relationship with someone or whatever and do Route 66 and 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 take some time. What I've discovered, at least on this trip, is it's good for me that I'm doing it alone because, like, I'll see a sign or something that's really cool. I'll go down and grab dinner, and then it's like, I'm going to go back six miles to just take a picture of a sign yeah. or the Cadillac brand. You know, I mean, right. it's not just whatever. And sometimes if you're traveling with people, let alone big groups, you know, yeah. people would say, are you nuts? Nah, it's just what I want to do. That's right. So, it, it, anyways, people say, you know, what's the best way? And what's, Any way you can do it's the best way. Now, if you've only got two weeks and you want to do the whole thing in two weeks, I tell people if you've got two weeks vacation, do half of it, and then next year do the other half. But you may not want to do that. You may want to go ahead and just do it all. 
yeah, you're going to miss some stuff, but it's still going to be fun, and it's going to be a learning experience, and you're going to meet some neat people. I was talking about Lowell Davis, the artist that lives up in Carthage. He says, if you get lost, people say, oh, you get lost. He said, if you get lost, you're going to see something you wouldn't have seen otherwise, and you're going to meet people you wouldn't have met otherwise. So it's all good. And, you know, even in my particular case, and I've, I said to you earlier today, uh, it's just by chance I'm taking this trip, and I didn't think, well, you talked about it earlier in the podcast. I didn't realize I'd spend two days in Armadillo. I <laughs> Last night before I met you, I was under the impression I was just going to kind of uh, do a straight shot to St. Louis, um, spend a day or two there, and then get home uh, to Harrisburg. And you had to talk about Oklahoma. And you mentioned some names of people in some really cool places. And now I'm like, now i got to spend a day or two in Oklahoma. Yeah. Uh, so for me, just in terms of the relevance of it, I already know that I need to come back and I need to leave a lot more time. For me, um, um, this town, Albuquerque, are a little bit off the beaten track for me. Whereas St. Louis, you know, I'm in Indianapolis a lot. So I figure get the further points out of the way and then circle through. So when they're coming from Chicago, do you like recommend high points in St. Louis or along the way people can stop whatever, but right. have you provided them a list of suggestions? Yeah. And, uh, it, and, and our, our GPS that they've got tells them and it gives them a beat when you go by a historic site and tell them, you know, tells them to go here. Like, like we, we come into, uh, we leave Chicago and drive down. We go to the Joliet Museum, the Joliet Prison, and they've got a museum now. They give you a tour. We do that. Then we go on down through, and uh, we, we end up at the uh, launching pad, which is where the first giant is in in, uh, in Illinois, Muffler Man. You remember oh, the well, Muffler sure, Man? Yeah, it's yeah. a Gemini giant. He's a spaceman. He's got a rocket ship in his arms. Well, that's the first one. There's three in Illinois. They're great. One, one you go to... You go to uh, and then we go to Pontiac for the first night. Pontiac, Pontiac's got a museum that won't quit. Bob Walmar was a famous Route 66 artist from Springfield, Illinois, or actually uh, Rochester. And uh, his dad invented the corn dog right here at Amarillo Air Force Base in 1946. <laughs> <laughs> I anyway, love all the history, Bob. That's great. Bob Walmar was the famous artist. He was the inspiration for Fillmore, the hippie van, and movie Cars. He passed away 11 years ago. Great guy. We ran together for years. And you have his artwork here in the gallery. Yeah. yeah. And uh, he, he was just so much fun. Uh, but he knew. He knew 66. He, he traveled it a lot. He traveled up and down selling his art. But all these kind of people that I've got to know over the years, and some of them we've lost, so, you know, it hurts. Uh, we stay in Pontiac, and there's, they've got a great museum, and they've got his Volkswagen van there that he traveled in, and they also have his bus. He's got a bus with solar panels that he lived in part-time and a fireplace and all this stuff. It was It's crazy, but that's a great museum, so we don't want people to miss it. Right. Then we go down, come on down, and uh, we do, of course, we do Springfield and, and the Capitol and the Lincoln's home and all that because it's American history and they're interested in it. We stay in Springfield and they have a ball. Then we come on down to St. Louis, and St. Louis is a lovely city. I love St. Louis. Of course, uh, there's a lot to see there. We don't. Yes, we spend one night there, but everybody has to go to Ted Drew's Frozen Custard. It's been in business since I think the 30s, and I don't do sugar, but I have a Ted Drew's Frozen Custard when I go to St. Louis. Wow, that's that's great. That's <laughs> but it's great. a historic Lucid Six site, and then we come right on down uh, and just and you come into uh, oh 
Springfield and Joplin. And then Kansas only has 13.2 miles of Route 66, but it's a great 13.2 miles. The little town of Galena, where the actual truck that Pixar used for Tomater is there. The car is wow. on the route. Uh, they've got a sheriff's car up on a stand. they got all kinds of stuff. And then the little town of Riverton, and then the, where, where Dean Crazy Legs Walker is from, he's the guy that was the inspiration for Tomater going backwards in the movie cars because oh. he can kick his feet around 180 degrees backwards. It's weird right. looking, yeah, <laughs> strange. And then, you, then the next little town is Baxter Springs. They've got a great museum there. They've got an old Phillips 66 station that's been redone, and it's the visitor center there. And then they've got the Rainbow Bridge just outside of town before you go into Oklahoma. And um, oh, it's cool. It's just fun. It's it's kitschy and it's cool. <laughs> and 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 that's part of you know the iconic nature of Route sixty six right. and that sort of thing. So then uh, uh, you're here in Amarillo, and uh, uh, there are a couple of towns uh, heading towards New Mexico. Now, do you stop here? Or do you take them all the way west? No, the I west? take them all the way west. We go clear to the Santa Monica Pier, and. Uh, yeah, we just have a blast. And again, that's something that's hard to do if you're in tandem. If right. you're in a convoy, it's impossible to get 8 or 10 or 12, 15 vehicles down to the Santa Monica Pier because the traffic is just crazy in the L.A. Basin, you know. Now, let me ask, for me, the the uh, image of Route 66 uh, really is Texas and New Mexico and Arizona and, and, and Kansas. Am I doing a disservice? Is California... You know, part of the real deal. You bet. Um, yeah, I love California. Cool. I love well, when you cross that river and go to Needles, California. Uh, there's a place called uh, I'm trying to think of the name of it. That awful Rosie Ramos uh, runs this uh, RV park and, and motel right on the Colorado River, and it's cool. Oh, it's cool. And then yeah, and then you got the Mojave, and you go to the Mojave Desert, and it's a desert. You go to Amboy. Now, Amboy is an old town there, and Roy's Cafe is an Amboy, and there used to be a motel there. Well, there's a guy by the name of Albert Okuro who has Juan Palo restaurants in the, base, in the basin in the L.A. area, and he's got lots of money. Well, he bought the whole town of Amboy for, wow. for $450,000, and now he's the mayor of Amboy. <laughs> and a friend of mine runs the post office, and the rest of them work at Roy's, and it's a great tourist stop. Now, right outside of there, they have a meteor crater. Uh, uh, Amboy Crater, but you want to be careful because it's the Mojave Desert. They lost four people out there last year that died hiking to the crater. Wow! Because they didn't, they did it in the heat of the day. They didn't take water. They they weren't healthy. They were overweight. They were probably like me. They were tourists, not hikers. Right. And and they thought, no, we'll just look, and, you yeah. see it over there. We'll just walk over there. Well, right. and they died. You know, and they were in all their sixties. Uh, we have people in Palomar Canyon. Same thing happens to. We'll be back with the second part of my conversation with Bob Crocodile Lyle right after this. Are you interested in sharing your passion on the EO podcast and ESOP minicast? We're looking for correspondents to tell us their great stories of employee ownership. These one to four minute long segments can be recorded remotely over the internet or by telephone. If this sounds like something you'd be interested in, please reach out. You'll hear contact information at the end of this episode. And now, here's part two of my conversation with Bob Crocodile Lyle. You and the people we discussed last week who make up uh, uh, Route 66 in eight states? Eight states. Eight states. It's not necessarily money-driven. And I'm not looking to to go into details, but you've made clear there's a passion that's driving you. 
and we don't need to talk about you specifically, but folks on Route 66, and, and forgive me, I'll just, I've been thinking about this question for 10 or 12 years. In a business common sense perspective, a lot of folks would have closed up shop, moved to the bigger highways, you know, started working at the, the, the chain stores and that sort of thing. And that's not what you're doing. So by a very uh, lengthy introduction, Bob, what, what drives you? Uh, <laughs> Route 66 is one of those things you can get passionate about because it's Americana. It's, Amer it's like America was in the 40s and 50s and 60s. When you get a chance, if you go to Chicago and get a chance to meet the Windy City Road Warrior, his name is David Clark. He's worked for the post office. He's done other stuff. He gives walking tours and bus tours of Route 66 in the Chicago area. This guy knows more history about not just Route 66, but everything in Chicago and Illinois. He's amazing. He's a walking encyclopedia. And he's passionate about it. And and it rubs off on you. When, when I get to spend a couple of hours with him two or three times a year, uh, I'm just... I get wound up. I get excited because he's passionate about it. Then you come on down and, and you go to the Pontiac Museum and you meet the mayor. And by the way, that mayor's stepping down. But he greets a group right there at the Pontiac Museum and thanks you for coming. And, and, and again, it gets you excited. It gets you to think, man, this is cool. And then you come on down and, and you meet uh, 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 Melba the Mouth in Galena, Kansas. We call her Melba the Mouth. She can talk faster than any human being I've ever met in my life, and you can still understand her. She's <laughs> but they double the mouth from the south. Wonderful lady, and she and her sisters they they they've been doing sixty six for years. They had they they all had uh, car four women on the route. It's a place in Galena, Kansas. But these people get you excited. They they it rubs off on you. You can't help but but say, wow, this is neat. Uh, and right on, you know, you go to T.P. Curios and meet Gar, who runs T.P. Curios in Tucumcari, New Mexico, or the people that run the Blue Swallow or the Motel Safari or the, or the, or the other motel. These people are, yeah, they're making a living by running a motel and a restaurant, but they're also Route 66 people. They're, they live and breathe Historic 66. And it, it's contagious. It just is. And so... We all get on. We've got several people here in Amarillo that I work with. Some of them are, have businesses on 66, some of them don't. But we're all passionate about it, and we all work together. We put on the International Route 66 Festival in Amarillo in 2011. We raised $36,000 to put it on, donations. Uh, Budweiser gave us $5,000 and $1,000 with a free beer. Eagle Rider Motorcycle Tours gave us $6,000. Uh, McDonald's Corporation gave us money. All these people donated so we could have a good festival, and people still say it's one of the best festivals ever been put on. But we were there. Were, we started out with thirteen people on the committee. We ended up with seven. Uh, one had a problem, and one got something. Anyway, we ended up with, we put it on, and people still rave about it. We try to have one of these every year or two somewhere. We didn't have one this year, and it breaks my heart because it's a it's a chance for roadies to get together. People that have traveled and become part of the Route 66 family, when we go to a festival or a convention, uh, it, it's like you're having fun with your family because we are. We, we're just we're close family. You know, there's some blood that's not family and some family that's not blood. In the Route 66 community, we're family. We are, and there's some neat people out there. So, 
Bob, when I came in this morning and we hadn't met and, and I'd been given your name by our friend uh, Debbie Meha at the Roadkill uh, Cafe in Seligman, Arizona, um, you introduced yourself to me and I've heard you do it to other customers as an abstract and expressionist painter. Right. painter. And so for me, there are certain things, and this is bigger picture of identity. Who are we? What's our passion? And by the way, employee ownership, people uh, listening to this podcast uh, are going to recognize what I'm really talking about is culture. Uh, uh, my friend Jason Wellman uh, calls it the secret sauce. And there's a culture through all of Route 66 that perpetuates, right. but it's not the easiest way for you to earn a living. You know, is it just the camaraderie? So, in other words, maybe coming from, from uh, I, I know you had mentioned previously, a uh, three miles off the Texas-Oklahoma yeah, border, yeah. Uh, maybe you weren't uh, destined to be in Paris as an abstract painter. But meanwhile, in your art gallery, it's as much your painting, and I get your passion, I sense your passion as you talk about it, loaded with lots of everything that just perpetuates the Route 66. Yeah. So it's that combination of you're here in the passion, uh, but you haven't gone to a big city somewhere, or you haven't just said, I'll sell out. How, how do you, is it just what you've known? Did it take a certain courage? Is it a lifestyle trade-off? Well, when you get my age, money doesn't mean... I mean, as long as you've got enough that you're comfortable, you got a nice place to live, you got food on the table, and and you know whatever, a million dollars. I mean, what would I do with it? I'd just spend it on something, you know, probably something that didn't mean anything. But <laughs> friendships mean a lot to me at my age. I'm 79 years old. I've uh, been around the block a few times. I've been, I've got a lovely woman. Been in my life for 30 years. Uh, we're very fortunate to have what we have. We've got a beautiful dog that loves us, and we love her. Uh, <laughs> I could do something and make more money, but then I wouldn't get to meet all these neat people that are traveling down the road. You know, I drove uh, limousines and party buses for four years for a company here in town just to pay the rent on this place right? because <laughs> I wasn't making any money right. until four years ago I started making it because of the jewelry. So... Uh, but it's the passion that drives that. And, yeah. and look, I've, I'm in the process this summer, as you and I chatted about starting, I think, the eighth business in my lifetime. Turns out I'm a serial entrepreneur and I just can't That's help great. myself. I love it, yeah. But as you were, and, and this little bit, and it's not to go personal, but everybody wants to find value. And, and I certainly spend a lot of time talking with CEOs and board of directors of, of pretty good-sized companies. But even rank and file, you know, in the companies, folks who are, are just scratching out a living uh, in employee ownership, everybody wants to feel valued. Everybody wants to feel rewarded and content. Uh, but it also takes some guts. I mean, you you made a conscious lifestyle decision. Right. If somebody feels they're in a grind, uh, what advice would you give? Well, I ran a Ford dealership for 35 years. and. So you know exactly what I mean of yeah, working it, in that business it, world. And it, it was good. We didn't get rich. We was a small town, but we made a good living. And uh, my dad and I ran that thing, and then uh, we closed down in 2000. Ford, Ford Motor Company closed 500 Ford dealerships in 2000. They didn't want little dealers in little towns, even though that's what they built their reputation right. on to start with. Them right. and Chevy both. So 
we decided to bail out. Well, I ran a used car dealership for a while, and that didn't work very well in that little town. So I got a chance to go to work for a company out of Canada called Doc Bailey's Leather Care Products. I'd been using this leather care on my motorcycle leathers for six or eight or ten years. So I called the 800 number on the bottle. I said, and the owner, Doc Bailey, answered the phone. And I said, uh, is this Doc Bailey? He said, yeah. And I said, what are you doing answering your own phone? Wow. <laughs> so he said, well, the secretary's gone to lunch. And I anyway, I said, I've been using your product for six or eight years on my leather, and I love it. Do you ever hire any salespeople? And he said, yeah. He said, can you come to Laughlin, Nevada, and work the, the, uh, the rally out here next month? He said, I'll pay your way out. I'll buy you a motel and your gas on the way out. I'll put you up while you're here, pay you 25% commission. And I sold 50 bottles at $20 a bottle that first day. It was only 114 in the shade, so you couldn't drink enough water during the day or enough beer at night. <laughs> but we had a ball. We enjoyed it. We met all these people and uh, so made some pretty good money. So I started working for him. And we traveled all over the country working motorcycle rallies and home shows and stuff like that for him. And, uh, and then I branched out, and he let me have some, some of my own shows. And I would buy product from him at wholesale, and I'd pay the expenses. I flew, I had Laughlin, Nevada, I had three booths in Laughlin, Nevada for about four years running, and I flew in ladies, good looking ladies that could sell, that I knew previously from him, flew them in from South Carolina and oh, three or four different places in the country, fly them into Vegas, pick them up and bring them down, put them up, and they worked hard, and I I just, I didn't sell because I didn't have time. I had. I was busy taking them water and something to eat because I had... You're running things. You're six, not selling. You're running Six things. women that were working for me. Wow. And uh, had three booths. And both those booths are expensive. Right. <laughs> Our <laughs> listeners know that uh, in the employee money. ownership, we go to conferences all the time. Right. And, and yeah, I'm particularly uh, the ESOP Association has a national conference in Vegas. But that also speaks to the perseverance where yeah. you wanted a lifestyle that you wanted and and you called. And this resonates with probably a lot of people uh, that were listening. You were looking uh, to figure out how to earn a living while maintaining a lifestyle and you called Doc Bailey. I love that he answered the phone himself. And 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 even as you've got a really cool art gallery that's quintessential Route 66, you were doing something on the side to pay the bills as you did it. So yeah. that's just part of doing what you got to do to fulfill your passion. Right. We did that for a long time. That's kind of wound down and, and, and I had a motor. I bought a motor home so we could travel in motor home. I had a trailer with my motorcycle and my gear in the back. Fuel went up, they went up on the rent, they got more vendors at the motorcycle rallies. Uh, it just got to be where we worked awful hard and the returns just weren't that great, so we bailed out. But, you know, that's the way it is. So we, you know, I'm like a duck. If it don't rain, I'll walk. I mean, it <laughs> work. That's great. Change, you know, get on a different track and try something else. So, but, Which is also... Uh, business and American and you know it just fits in and, and some things work uh, for as long as they work and you move on and do something else. I know people that are working hard and making really good money. These, some, I know some of them are making 150, 200 grand a year but they hate their job. Well you know they've always told me if you love your job you'll never work a day in your life. So here, here we are. And <laughs> the funny thing is that I have seen you and you're a busy guy. And, and I, I'm going to say this the wrong way. 
you seem to be having too much fun with your customers for it to be work, yeah. even though I know you're working your tail off. Right. Uh, yeah. Yeah. So you're working very hard. Uh, Bob, I, I hope you don't mind, I'm, I'm, but you mentioned at your age a little bit earlier, and I'm going to embarrass myself. You made a comment to that before we were recording, and I said, well, we're probably about the same age. Uh, our whiskers are the same. Uh, in the interest of full disclosure, I'm 55 and you are 79. Yeah. Um, I did point out I read at a 58-year-old level, so I'm ahead of my classmates. I'm, I'm very happy with that. Um, so, Bob, to wind down this segment, and I appreciate all of your time, Seventy-nine years old, and um, lay down some some either what lessons do you wish you had learned younger? What would you say? I'm fifty-five. My kids are in their twenties. You know, anybody who doesn't want to be in a grind, um, lay down some big picture wisdom. You know, I'm seventy-nine. Clint Eastwood, his one of his sayings is, "Don't let the old man in." Don't let the old don't man. let the old man in. Think young. Now, the other thing, when I was 30, I was a sugar addict. I was an addict, period. I mean, I, thank God I never did cocaine or some of the other harder drugs because I'd have probably been dead by now. But I was an addict. I was hooked on caffeine and nicotine and sugar and alcohol until I was 35 years old. Nobody knew what was wrong with me. I was screwed up. And I finally figured out I was hypoglycemic. I was allergic to sugar. And I don't, I do caffeine. I do one cup of green tea in the morning, and that's all caffeine I ever do. But I quit sugar when I was 35 years old. I don't eat candy, cookies, cake, ice I just don't do that stuff. Sugar is not a food, it's a drug. But most people, the majority of people in the world, not just America, are hooked on it. They've got to have something. It's, it's an addiction. They want it. Coca Cola. Coca Cola kills more people than cigarettes. And I quit them, I quit them in 1975. So not everybody's going to quit that stuff. I don't do white flour, hardly ever, and if I have to go pick up a hamburger, I'll have a white flour bun, but normally I don't do. There's a lot of things that I don't consume because it's not good for you. I want to live a long time, and I want to feel good while I'm doing it. The trick is to die younger later. <laughs> to die younger later, and I want people to pause and think about that, to keep a very young mentality, but last a long time. And, and to do that, you have to be healthy. A young mentality won't work if you're sick. So, you know, I've been real fortunate to have, I may die tomorrow, but I may live to be, I don't know. Nobody has any guarantees. We sing a song in Barbershop Harmony, tomorrow is promised to no one. So live your life every day, enjoy your life every day. If you're in a job that's a grind and you hate, find something else, even if it's less money. You know, people that make $100,000 a year spend one hundred fifty. People that make one hundred fifty spend two. You know how that, you've watched Absolutely. this all your life. I see people in debt. And they worry their credit card debt's ten and fifteen thousand dollars. My credit cards are paid off. I use them for business. My credit cards are paid off every month. And if I get to the point I can't do that, I quit buying stuff. I don't buy a lot of stuff anyway. We get a house full of antiques. I got plenty of food. What do I need? Right. I don't need anything. I mean, I don't. I have an art collection valued at about a quarter of a million dollars. I started collecting art in nineteen sixty-eight. Paintings I paid one hundred fifty dollars for, selling for four thousand dollars now. Now, can I eat those things? No, but I love to walk around and look at them on the wall because I remember the artists that I bought them from in New York City. Right, they have oh, meaning and satisfaction yeah, right. and that sort of thing. But I go into million-dollar homes here in Amarillo, and there's not a piece of original art on the wall, and it hurts me. I met a man in 1968 that taught art. He didn't just teach art. He taught art. He taught philosophy. He taught all kinds of stuff. He was an amazing genius. 
he was a university professor, art professor, for 14 years at the University of Kentucky. I met him in 1967. He said, you need to take art lessons. You, you have that creative ability. You need to, I'd never painted before. I was 28 years old. So I started taking art wow. lessons. You know, and, and, uh, and a, he, he was an amazing man. He taught 14 four-hour classes a week and did it did it in a, like a college semester or school semester. And then in the summertime, he would teach a, a six-week uh, portrait class or a six-week watercolor class. We traveled all over the world, our groups did. Uh, we had a group of people, 250, 300 people, remember the Area Arts Foundation. Uh, we, we collected major pieces of art every year. We had auctions and donated stuff. We gave our collection to the Emerald Museum of Art back in 2008 is valued at about $12 million. Wow. <laughs> we would go to New York and meet these artists and go in their homes and they'd wine us and dine us knowing that we were going to buy art. And we would. And, and you find a $5,000 painting and buy it from them instead of the gallery and get it for $2,000. Right. So that's what we did. And then some of those now, a lot, well, all of them are gone. All those artists are gone. They're died. Uh, Louise Nevelson was sculptor that I worked with, uh, they paid about $6,500 for that piece that's here at the Emerald Museum of Art. It's, it's valued at somewhere between 2 and $3 million today. Now, and, and you have a gorgeous piece that you did in 1972 <laughs> uh, when she came to town for three days, you would say. Yeah, right. Uh, uh, your art is very impressive. It's kind of interesting. Um, last January 2019, we started inserting what we call a Sarah spot into our podcast where it was a one-minute health and nutrition break. Mm. And I asked you to lay down any wisdom that you could have laid down, and you actually talked about a healthy lifestyle. Okay. And uh, Sarah Sullivan, who does the Sarah Spots, uh, she and I are working on uh, a potential project, and she's also, I've hired her as my nutritionist. Yeah. And one of the things that I've summed up in, in my life as I'm approaching 56 uh, I've always led a very active kind of type A personality lifestyle, and I've eaten and slept as a byproduct of that lifestyle. So if I, back when I practiced law, I was writing a brief at 2 in the morning, I'd throw down a burger at 2 in the morning. I'd sleep, I'd get hours. And people that I respect, and, and even when I say respect, um, some are successful business people, I mean I respect as human beings are actually taking the point that you just made. You're taking your nutrition to fuel the life that you want to leave instead of having it as an afterthought. And and personally, I appreciate that because that's very good advice for me. But everything that you're doing and you're an active guy uh, stems from the fact that you're taking care of yourself. Somebody's got to. Nobody else. <laughs> you know, I, I, I wish I'd have started earlier. Uh, but my boys were raised, when I figured out at 35, I started teaching my young sons about nutrition. I take a B-complex vitamin every day, and my mom's uh, uh, cardiologist said everybody should take a B-complex vitamin every day because it's heart healthy. Uh, I don't, I, I don't, I, at my age, I try not to eat a lot of grease. I don't eat French fries, I mean, maybe twice, three times a year. I very seldom ever have a burger, if one, you know, I don't eat a big steak. If I want a steak, I'll eat five, six, seven ounces of meat. Uh, we eat some chicken, and I try to buy organic. Uh, I spend a lot of money at, at uh, organic groceries and health food stores. Sure. But, it, but it, it's, it's worth it. Uh, 
you know. Bob, I want to uh, thank you. Uh, I asked if we'd sit down for a, a couple of minutes, and you were kind enough to actually do two uh, podcast segments with me. Uh, you are as fascinating a person as I've met. I've really enjoyed the time uh, uh, spending with you. I'm not very smart. <laughs> you know, there's a lot of things I don't know. But I do know about nutrition, I do know about art, and I do know about Route 66. And that's about as far as my knowledge goes. Well, but first of all, <laughs> you have uh, thrown a lot of wisdom both in the podcast and even just being in your story. You've, you've been kind enough to let me hang out a little bit. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, and uh, what I have discovered through my years is that some of the smartest people I know uh, throw out the comment that they're not that smart. So uh, I would suggest uh, anybody take the time, uh, 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 spend time on Route 66, get to Amarillo, Texas, get to the Lyle Art Gallery. You wouldn't say this, but I'm going to say it. Spend money at the Lyle Art Gallery. Uh, but, Bob, you're a delightful person, and, and and although not everybody will sit down with you for an hour and record, uh, you're happy to spend time with people that wander through. Man, I appreciate it. And Lyle Art Gallery has a Facebook page, and Bob Lyle has a Facebook page. So if you get our – and then my email – if you see something – if you want to ask me a question, send it to me. I'd be glad to answer, help anybody I can. And, Bob, I'm, I'm glad you mentioned that in our uh, previous episode of the minicast where we talk about Route 66. Generally, we did all your contact information, and right. although it's there, why don't you lay it on me again? Because you also do tours for uh, uh, Gilligan Tour Company. The La- so just lay all of the ways to contact you and Lady Lyle as well. And yeah. Lyle, uh, although people will see it as L-I-L-E, yep. Lyle. Right. It's not no Y. Right. Uh, some people can't spell. <laughs> no, but Lyle Art Gabby has a Facebook page. Lady Lyle has a Facebook page. Bob Lyle has a Facebook page. My email is crocodilelyle at live.com. Uh, my website, I'll get up and going here one of these days, is lylegallery.com. Uh, Gilligan's Route 66 Tours.com is my my group that I tour with uh, out of New Zealand. And we love, we don't care what, what part of the world you're from, the United States or Mexico. If you want to come go on a tour with us, let us know. We'll figure out a price and we'll get you going. That is so cool. That's going to wrap up this episode of the podcast. I really appreciate Bob Crocodile Lyles taking his time to sit down with me this past summer. I think they're uh, really cool episodes and he's a cool guy. If you find yourself in Amarillo, Texas, please stop by the Lyle Art Gallery or contact him online. If you heard about him on the ESOP podcast, I'd appreciate your mentioning that to him. And if you actually came across this episode because of the Route 66 connection and you're curious more about employee ownership, by all means, reach out, let us know. With that, my friends, we're going to wrap up. I hope you have a great week, and we'll look for you Friday for the ESOP minicast. This is Brett Kiesling. So long. We'd love to hear from you. To contact us, find us on Facebook at Kesop LLC and on Twitter at Aesop Podcast. To reach Brett with one T, email Brett at Kesop.com, on LinkedIn at Brett Kiesling, and most actively on Twitter at EO underscore Brett. Again, that's one T. This podcast has been produced by the Kesop Group, technical assistance provided by Third Circle Inc. and Bitsy Plus Design. Original music composed by Max Kiesling. Archival podcast material edited and produced by Brian Kiesling. And I'm Bitsy McCann.